Fermentis is an expert in the art of fermentation. Fermentis works and supports all breweries in order to make the best beer together. Fermentis offers many fermentation solutions to fit all of your needs. Active dry yeasts, bacterias, fermentation aids, functional products. If you have a fermentation issue, Fermentis obviously has the solution. That's why Fermentis is the obvious choice for beverage fermentation. To find out more about Fermentis, check out their website www.fermentis.com or download the Fermentis app available for Android and iOS. That's Fermentis spelt F-E-R-M-E-N-T-I-S. What do you get when you combine three beer-loving friends who also happen to be experienced brewers? Combine this with a fantastic London location and a commitment to producing and serving the freshest, tastiest beers. You end up with one of the latest exciting additions to the capital's ever-changing brewing scene. And it's a scene that's all the better for having them part of it too. Hello and welcome to the Brewer's Journal podcast. My name is Tim Sheehan, editor of the Brewer's Journal. Opening your own brewery at any point in time comes with its own challenges and hurdles to overcome. Just ask the countless outfits that had COVID to contend with weeks and months after slinging open their doors. And in the current economic climate, things probably aren't much better, to say the least. But people are thirsty and there remains an insatiable appetite for excellent locally made produce. Which is convenient, because that's exactly what John, Ollie and Nick, the co-founders of Great Beyond Brewing Company, specialise in. I recently caught up with John Driebergen. In this episode, the co-founder of one of London's newest outfits discusses his love of brewing and his desire for Great Beyond Brewing Company to become part of the fabric of East London. We also discussed the team's experiences working in the industry and the lessons they've learned along the way. Great Beyond Brewing Company opened its doors with a soft launch last November. Founded by a trio that take pride in their work, their community and their values, the team's approach to brewing emphasises quality, sustainability and creativity. And in Great Beyond Brewing Company, they're treading the path many of their peers have already done, setting out on their own into the wild world of brewery ownership. Yeah, well, I think many... um brewers kind of dream about opening a brewery one day you know and uh and in in that sense i've been thinking about it for you know over a decade 12 years i guess but i started to think about it more seriously about two years ago and uh like many people during covid i did a lot of uh, reflecting and uh I found the transition from working for an independent craft brewery to uh, a larger one with uh, corporate ownership was culturally quite difficult and also uh, at times demoralizing. And uh, But I, I appreciated the job security during COVID for sure. And I learned a lot of things too. So during that time I did some reflecting and I had a conversation with Ollie, one of the co-founders and we sort of started to talk about it about two years ago. And then we started working on it more seriously, maybe 18 months ago. And then uh, a few months in, uh, Nick, our third co-founder, joined 
and uh yeah so it's been a long road you know from using weekends and evenings to plan the business and raise some money and develop the business plan and find a location and source equipment and then eventually install equipment and all these things it's been kind of like working two full-time jobs at once for a few years and uh then we yeah we're it's just a kind of you can't control the timing perfectly and uh of course it's quite funny we ended up opening during a sort of perfect storm economically and everything that's happening right now. In starting out, the brewery is placing a major emphasis on its taproom offering and the fantastic beers available from it. But they also serve the trade too. As a new brewery, our business model is basically that we're, we're about a 10 hectoliter brew house. We're going to have a, we have a small core range, Hoxton Lager, Hoxton Fresh, and we're going to introduce a Hoxton Sour and uh, gluten-free West Coast Pale Ale as well. And uh, the business model is basically we're going to sell as much beer as we can through our tap room, uh, and then we'll have extra kegs and cans available to sell, especially locally. We really want to focus in hard on East London, our, our backyard in Hoxton. But, you know, we'll sell anywhere in the M25, really, and a little bit beyond if people are really keen, we'll... Uh, we'll we'll do that too, but the but the the main focus is uh, to generate as much revenue as possible through the tap room because that allows us to absorb some of these cost increases a little bit better because the margins higher in the tap room, and also the tap room sales is good for cash flow. So you know the number one issue for new businesses is cash flow, and uh, so at least we have regular cash coming in. Although we've had some, so yeah, the the cost pressures are, are affecting us just like everybody else. But um, the, the biggest challenge we've had in launching the brewery uh, was definitely with uh, our premises license. And like many new business owners know, securing the relevant licenses is all important. But it's not always straightforward either. We were working full time in our old jobs in our notice period, and we were spending our weekends and our evenings starting the brewery and uh, we realized well we need to outsource the premises license application to an expert so we hired a consultant and we uh, didn't have a great application and it was denied by Hackney Council but there was also a fair amount of organized opposition uh, that came from a wealthy property developer who is next door to us they financed a campaign with a petition, local residents in, in their building, their luxury apartments, and also surrounding neighborhood buildings and businesses, petitioning the council, uh, hiring expensive lawyers, and doing whatever they could to stop us from opening. So the plan was to open in September, and we ended up not being able to open until the November. Uh, we opened in November uh, we, we, without a premises license. We had to open on temporary events. So only a few days a week, which makes it harder to build momentum. And meanwhile, we'd been paying rent every month without bringing any revenue in. Uh, we'd also been uh, paying for legal fees that we weren't expecting, expensive legal fees. To, and, and we had to spend a lot more money on our second application. Ultimately, it was granted. But it meant that we didn't really exit our sort of soft launch phase until just last week. And uh, so it's been uh, our momentum definitely stalled. And we also had much, much more startup costs associated with uh, attain, obtaining that premises license and the legal fees and everything. And it's, it's been, that's been by far the biggest challenge. But, but the feedback on the beer and the feedback on the venue are both great. So it's just about surviving the difficulties with uh, 
cash at the moment. You know, it's scary when you check your bank business bank balance every day and you see money going out every month and nothing coming in. And then we had that for several months and it's, 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 it was really hard. For a while there, it looked like we weren't going to be able to open at all. While no business wants opposition when starting out, the buzz around the brewery has actually ended up having its benefits too. His petition was uh, painted a picture of a business that is nothing like ours. It made, it made it sound like we were going to be really loud and noisy and open all night and whatever. So there was definitely some people who were scared then into supporting the campaign to prevent us from opening. But at the same time, it did a bunch of free marketing for us because he circulated this petition across all the local buildings. And as a result, we didn't have to spend a dime to get you know, several hundred people waiting for us to open who were excited to hear there was a brewery opening. And uh, so that's the that's the positive side. And, and and really the feedback from that, we have regulars, we have locals who love us. There's a few office buildings where people are starting to come down more. Uh, we're also near Columbia Road Flower Market, you know, and, and we've just been open for our first Sunday and it's gone, uh, that went really well. So it's just, you know, there's going to be, when the beer starts to be out there a little bit more in the sort of local areas. So, you know, our first customer was, um, fantastic pub on the uh, Hoxton Street called uh, Hall at the Moon and uh, they're a great local institution and and we we were often drinking beer there and that's that's a great sign you know and now we're getting some other local accounts like TT uh, liquor and Hoxton cabin and the old fountain and kill the cats on the uh, or early early champions of ours and so we're starting to see the local area embrace us which is great because we're new and we need the we need the local love and uh being a london-based brewery i mean we live in london we want to keep living in london we love living in london i love living in east london and hackney and uh, there's plenty of breweries in this area already but our business model is a little bit different you know heavy taproom focus uh, the location uh being right by hoxton overground station we're very accessible to get to and the idea is to stay relatively small and operationally simple, really, and to make lots of interesting beers. The early focus on those beers has been in the form of core releases, Hoxton Lager and Hoxton Fresh. So we decided we are going to launch with these two beers called Hoxton Lager and Hoxton Fresh. We've done a few batches now. The Hoxton Fresh, we haven't really changed very much so far. We're really happy with it. It's got a really lovely, soft pillowy mouthfeel and real full hop saturation, but without any kind of hopper and or harsh notes. It's very balanced and really aromatic and we, we love it. And it's uh, we think it's going to be a great sort of flagship product for us. Uh, it's the Hoxton Fresh. The Hoxton Lager, the, the thinking there was, uh, well, the taproom needs to have a house lager. And, and I don't expect the Hoxton Lager to be pouring widely necessarily because we can't compete on price with many of the other lagers that are out there. And for so many bars, it's critical to have uh, a high margin lager to balance out the rest of the menu and to create space for the IPAs, etc. So uh, I don't expect the lager to be far and wide, although if people want to list it, they're more than welcome to. But uh, it's a Keller lager. The um, first few batches we've done as an English Keller lager. And I'm really pleased with how the beer tastes, actually. But we're going to actually experiment with uh, doing it as a more traditional German Keller lager for the next few batches. And we're going to see if we like that better. And um, we're still sort of figuring that out. We did, we've been reformulating the beer every time we've been brewing it. And uh, we just want to try that and see if we prefer it. And if so, we will probably do it as more of a traditional Keller lager, in which case we would do an English lager as an annual um, seasonal and we try to make it really special and we maybe as like a as a fest beer or something but then an english fest beer 
and with the taproom offering, the team have the ability to produce a growing number of other beer styles for consumers to enjoy. To keep the taproom fun and interesting, we're going to continuously have new small batch stuff available. And so the idea is, you know, if we do a 10 hectoliter batch of something fun and exciting, like for instance, we're launching a 7% cherry and tonka bean sour this week called Cherries. We also launched with a beer called the Raspberry Incident, uh, which was a great uh, 4.4, 4.5-ish percent, very elegant, simple raspberry sour that we brewed using 100% whole fruit that we got sourced fresh from the farm. Actually, so what they do is they harvest the fruit, they they flash freeze the fruit, uh, so it's the, it stays as fresh as possible. You order the fruit frozen, it gets sent to you frozen. And then we assumed the raspberries would be in a sealed container, but we put them in the cold store, and then they defrosted overnight. So we, we walked into the cold store, and it looked like a murder scene. There was so much beautiful raspberry juice all over the floor. And it smelled amazing, but it was a giant mess. Our general manager, Nick, had to uh, clean it up, the poor guy. But um, we ended up having to order more raspberries to put into the beer. And uh, we named the beer the Raspberry Incident after the, uh, well, the incident involving the, <laughs> the defrosted raspberries. So we've, we've been sort of starting to do these sort of fun sours, but we're always going to make the beer. The beers are always going to be vegan. They're, so, you know, even now we have a, we have a blueberry and uh, marshmallow sour coming out, and we use vegan marshmallows for that. And um, we're always going to use real whole ingredients, you know. So we took some of the raspberry incident beer and we sort of set it aside when it was in tank still. And we got some uh, freshly roasted whole peanuts. And then we um, unsalted. And then we sort of pulsed those peanuts in like a sort of industrial blender. And then we added the peanuts uh, to the tank and then let them steep in the beer for a few weeks. And then, so this raspberry, because we called it a peanut butter and jelly beer, but it's not really. It's just, it's a it's a raspberry and peanut sour, and it has this lovely peanut aroma, and it's so, it, it's just about elegance, using real whole ingredients, I think, just tastes better. And um, and it's okay that's more expensive, because I can make my margin through the taproom sales. And then the places who want to buy a keg of that beer, or want to buy a few cases of that beer, are more than welcome to. And, uh, and that's sort of the idea. And we're going to continue to do, we're going to do some fun collaborations too. So uh, with uh, friends of ours in the industry. John, Ollie and Nick are no strangers to collaborations and working with other brewers. The trio met while working at Bermondsey-based Forpure, with John part of the team there for nearly a decade before making the leap last year. And he values the experiences he had during that time. When it started, it was a really exciting place to work. Uh, it was uh, very high, fast-paced. There was a lot of um, fast growth, and that's always challenging, but also thrilling. Uh, a lot of local love. You know, it was the Bermondsey scene was really active. We were in pouring in all sorts of places and all over, over Southeast London. And then, sort of the supermarket thing started, which was some ways good for the business, other ways bad for the brand, but it's okay in a sense because the industry also needed breweries to be taking that first step into supermarkets. And then Lion, you know, the Lion acquisition uh, really changed the culture and it really changed the company, the image of the the company externally, but also the, I think it, it the, the Four Pure itself had a bit of an identity crisis uh, because it ceased to be authentic, really, at that point. Um, the big rebrand, the a lot of decision-making 
changed. You know, it wasn't Dan and Tom deciding things. It was everything going through a corporate structure and cost pressures to uh, save money on everything. By the way, though, kind of one one thing though, really, so many, many, many fantastic people and memories though. There, and there still are some brilliant people who work there now, but so many great brewers and sales people and marketing people who are now in the industry doing other roles, logistics people. And again, people who are still there now are, are really brilliant. And we all, we can kind of forget that sometimes, you know, if a brewery gets bought by, by a big multinational, it doesn't mean that all the people who work there are suddenly bad people or people who aren't passionate about beer or what they do. While that business has played an important part in the trio's brewing journey, the focus is now fully on Great Beyond Brewing Company. And in a challenging climate, that emphasis is on producing excellent beers and playing its very own part in London's exciting, evolving brewing scene. I really believe in Great Beyond Brewing Company in every way. So the, I think we have the, the location, the business model, the brand, the beer tastes great. The venue is fantastic. And we're only going to make the beer better and we're only going to make the tap room better. But, you know, in the very short term, like for many other small independent craft breweries, the focus is on survival, uh, especially in our case, because we're new and we uh, are coming out of this challenging uh, sort of pre-launch period where we almost ran out of money. So survival first, and then thriving, right? So it's uh, it's getting people to come through our doors and try the beer and come back and tell their friends and get, getting the beer out there to more places locally and around London and anywhere, really, if they really want the beer, we can figure out a way to get it to them. But I think the the regular sort of customers of, our, of ours are going to be kind of pretty local, you know, East London and uh, and elsewhere within the M25, I think. And, you know, I, I would just love to look back on this year and and uh, still be standing and, and, and feeling good and strong about 2024. And I hope the rest of the industry feels that way, too, because these are challenging times. But I, I'm, I'm still really bullish on craft beer, actually. I think we need to all take a, the, 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 we need to take a close, hard look at, uh, at our business models, I think. And I, I really believe that our business model with the taproom focus and putting ourselves in a good location uh, is, is sort of the way forward. Uh, the focus on localism, the focus on sustainability and community. And there are many breweries that are, that are doing that, and those are the ones that are doing really well. The Brewer's Journal podcast is a production of Reby Media. Produced and hosted by Tim Sheehan. Sound engineering by Ross McPherson. Series supervision by John Young. The executive producer is Rory Harris. Special thanks to John Drew of Great Beyond Brewing Company.